Welcome to Local Share Green Action Podcast. This show is produced by Go Green Locally, a 501c3 nonprofit providing tools and resources for people that are looking for ways to take even more successful local action that makes a difference for our people and our planet. Okay. Today on our podcast, I'm speaking with someone who has been working in the green movement as an activist in New Jersey for a number of years, taking on a number of roles from board member to an environmental lobbyist. I'm speaking with Baini Suri. Baini Suri is a CEO and founder of Eco Community Solutions. She is a grassroots activist, an attorney, and a mother to her son, Kai. For the past 11 years, she has worked on social and environmental justice issues in Princeton, across Mercer County, and the state of New Jersey. As a first-generation Indian American, female, and the single parent of a special needs child, the environment, diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice are relevant, important issues in her professional and personal life. Excuse me. Bainey served as the executive director as the New Jersey Environmental Lobby until June of 2022. Prior to working there, she volunteered with a number of community programs, combating a lack of diversity, holding social justice student exhibitions, co-chairing committees, and sitting on nonprofit boards, as well as starting new social and environmental justice industries and serving soup and soup kitchens. Bainey has been invited to speak across the state on her work to stop plastic pollution and authored the first plastic pollution ordinance in New Jersey in 2011. She has lectured at Pratt Institute in Manhattan and at the Rutgers School of Environmental and Biological Sciences. Welcome to the show, Bainey. Thank you, and thank you for hosting me. Yes, I'm so excited to speak with you and learn more about your path of green action with the local nonprofit work, environmental lobbying, and work on plastic pollution ordinances. So what um, planted the seeds for you originally to want to take some kind of green action? Well, one of the things that had happened that got me interested in the environmental movement was when my son, my young son, was diagnosed with autism. Um, and because of his condition, it made me hyper aware of everything that was in the environment and more conscious, I would say, around toxins that we were exposed to, around waste and how it was being um, collected, and you know, all sort of issues that connect to health and wellness um, in connection with the environment. And so that's what kind of, I think, originally sort of laid the groundwork, if you will, um, for bringing me into the green environment. I see. Excellent. Um, so I understand that you moved from San Francisco Bay area to New Jersey. How was it getting started with a new community? You know, it was a very big adjustment. And I do have to say that I'm very thankful in a lot of ways because it created much more of a passion inside of me to get things done because coming to New Jersey and seeing so much plastic pollution everywhere, um, styrofoam and the awareness of the issue was so different. You know, in California, um, particularly in San Francisco, the issue had been dealt with almost 15 years earlier. And most people living in the Bay Area were very conscious about the climate crisis, about plastics, about composting, about a lot of things that New Jersey hadn't yet tackled. Um, so in some ways it was difficult because 
you're at the bottom of a very large mountain, but on the other side, it was really exciting because there was a chance to get something done that had already been proven to work successfully in another state. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah, to be able to see that possibility because you've been there. Before I ask more about environmental lobbying, can you tell me what it's like to be an environmental lobbyist and, and what you do as part of your profession? Sure. So an environmental lobbyists research current political issues. Um, they study new policies and bills. They meet with government officials. Um, they try to educate voters and politicians about policies that affect the environment. And what you're trying to do often is to convince an elected leader, a politician that has the power to sponsor a bill, to agree with the solution that you're proposing, or at least to agree that there's an issue and we want to address it and that legislation is the right way to address it. And so it's very exciting in a lot of ways because you are teaching voters about new policies and you're encouraging them to contact their local politicians and and really working around voter engagement. And I think that can be um, a very satisfying area to work in. Hmm. That's very interesting. I didn't realize that. What um, ignited your passion to work as a lobbyist? Was there like a certain issue at that point in your life? Well, I had served on the board of the New Jersey Environmental Lobby, which is the oldest lobbying organization in the state of New Jersey. It's a small organization. And I sat on the board. And so from that experience, I got to really know the organization a lot. And when um, a woman that I had actually worked with for a long time, Noemi De La Puente, uh, left New Jersey Environmental Lobby to pursue another um, career, I had a discussion with the president and ended up saying, you know what, I'll come on board and I will be the lobbyist and the events coordinator and the membership person and the fundraiser and kind of just do everything. And lobbying was included in that soup. And was there like anything specific in your background that spurred you to take on this type of action as opposed to maybe like another aspect? You know, it was the, the thing for me was it was really about just being a mom and wanting to protect my child from the environmental degradation that the planet is suffering from, you know, and, and being conscious to know that the harm from the climate crisis is going to be magnified exponentially when my child is, you know, coming, is in a place where there's no one else to care for him. And so that I think is really frightening. And um, I think it's important to not be gloom and doom with the climate crisis, to focus on the fact that you know, we need action, we need to address it. But I think it's naive to not be cognizant of the importance of acting very quickly and the importance of facing something that really has the ability to destroy the entire biodiversity of our planet. Yeah, I understand. So what are some of the challenges that you have faced in this role and um, how did you overcome them? I think the primary challenge that you face is that people that support the status quo are very resistant to acting. And sometimes those people, very often, they are the people that are in power. And because of the political system and the way that lobbying and politics work in the United States, um, there is a lot of money in politics. And Groups that have money, like the Plastic Lobby, for instance, or the Food Council, can hire 
experts and lobbyists to do that lobbying on their behalf. And so it's difficult when you're a small, you know, you're just a individual person or you working for a tiny nonprofit um, to be able to have that kind of influence over people that can actually sponsor bills or make legislation when you don't have that kind of money. So you either need to have votes. These are the two things that sway a politician, I think, is you, you either need to have votes or you need to have money and um, you need to be able to have convincing studies or arguments to be able to sway that person to think that the action that you're promoting is correct. From those that you just mentioned, which one of those did you most effectively use when you were seeking to to make changes with um, plastic pollution in your area? So what was most helpful research or votes or what angle or both did you did you use? I, I think it's, you know, there is a power in numbers. And so I think part of the difficulty with plastic pollution is that so many people that are very green think of that issue, single-use plastic bags, um, plastic waste, recycling, to be old issues that have already been, quote-unquote, solved. When in reality, they are not old issues. They have not been solved. And if anything, they're actually issues that have gotten worse. But when you're dealing with somebody, you know, whose mindset is sort of like, oh, this isn't a problem, it becomes very hard to propose a change. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. How has facing these challenges helped you in your career as an environmental lobbyist? I was very excited to be an official registered lobbyist and to have that experience. I hope to lobby in the future, but it will be much more as a individual person. Um, or the owner of my, you know, company, Eco Community Solutions. It won't be sort of in that in that vein, so to speak. But I, I think I learned a lot about lobbying in terms of being able to see how important it is to have really deep relationships with people that you trust, that are rational, that will at least listen and give you access, and then that, of course, have the power to sway other people and to facilitate the passage of legislation with the bureaucratic process that exists. Have you ever received some really useful advice for your career that has really helped you? And if so, what was, what was that advice? Yes, I, I love to have mentors. It's a big thing for me. And so I'm always looking for people that can inspire me and that I can learn from. And, and I'm always amazed at what good advice um, mentors will give you. So just recently, I got some very good advice from the president of the New Jersey Environmental Lobby. And she had said to me, you know what, don't ever let anybody pressure you into doing anything that you're not comfortable with. And the discussion had come up in the context of um, an article that I was writing. And I think her point was really salient in that set of circumstances, but it's even broader, you know, letting somebody push you to write an article because you're desperate to get press or you want to get your story out. You know, everybody loves press, press, press might put you in a position where you've produced something or sent out information that you didn't have the time to make sure was really right. And if you want to represent yourself as somebody that people should listen to, I think it is good to proceed with caution, to be careful. I mean, you don't want to miss opportunities, but if someone's pressure you or put you in a place where you don't feel comfortable, I do think you want to say, you know what, I'm going to have to pass on this, or these are my boundaries and I need you to respect them. So I think that advice was 
um, really good. And the second piece of advice I got is um, from my father and I, I use it all the time in my life. And, you know, um, when I was taking the bar in California, it's a three-day bar. And on the second day, I had just kind of had it. And so I came out and I called my dad on the phone and I was like, I, I can't do it. Like, I'm done. I, I don't have it in me. You know, I've got my, you know, little snack bars and the water and, but I'm just, I'm not able to finish this. And, um, you know, he had said to me, you know, this bar is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And the important thing that you need to focus on is you need to finish and you need to finish strong. Those are the two things that you need to do. You need to finish and you need to finish strong. You need to go back in there and you need to commit not to quit and you need to do the best job that you can. If you do those three things, it doesn't matter what happens because you will not have any regrets and you'll just take the next step from there. And so I think that advice, you know, you have to commit not to quit. You have to remember that when you're running a marathon, you need to finish strong and you need to finish. Um, and then, of course, you need to do your personal best. And that advice has really served me very well. Excellent. That is, that is amazing advice. Has there ever been any differences in your beliefs as an environmental lobbyist um, and others? How have you been able to overcome these differences? You know, in the environmental community, there definitely is diversity among opinion of how to deal with certain issues. Generally, I do think the environmental committee comes out, uh, the environmentalists, excuse me, the different groups and the nonprofits do come out on the same side. But um, Governor Murphy actually ended up vetoing the first plastic pollution bill that was passed. And the reasons that he vetoed it were very sound. And some people were split. There were some environmentalists that said, no, we should just pass. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect. Let's pass it now. And if we need to amend it, amend it later. And other people sort of said, no, let's get the, let, you know, we're at the home stretch here, let's get a bill in place. And so that's an example of where there was a split. For me, I was fine with the veto. I would have liked to have seen the legislation move a lot faster earlier, but at that stage, it did make sense to me. And the second issue I would say is with respect to how plastic ba uh, paper bags, excuse me, are handled in the ordinance. I personally prefer a charge um, to an outright ban. And that's mostly, you know, because I think in New Jersey, we have a lot of voters that don't like to be told, quote unquote, what to do by the government and a lot of small businesses. And I think that sort of offering this option where you can have the bag, but your customer pays. And then, of course, the merchant gets to keep that money is a better solution. I also don't like the idea of a lot of plastic bags, even if they're thicker and better quality, being used and created, because ultimately, even the best plastic bag is still plastic. And I don't think it's that easy to move people over to a canvas bag when the price point is higher. And then the last reason for me is that I heard a lot from people, not from people that were actually from a low economic community, other people that were quote unquote, speaking for them, talk a lot about how the five cents or the 10 which was my proposal, um, fee would cause so much hardship. Well, now that same mother that goes to the grocery store has to buy a bag for probably a dollar and 25 cents or at least a dollar instead of the five cents. Um, paper is very detrimental to the environment, but once you impose a fee, people really don't use it at the levels that they use it when it's free. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. What what are some of the ways you and others are enjoying the rewards of your efforts? And what is the most rewarding part of your job? 
You know, I think the most rewarding part of the job for me, because most of my work has been done as a volunteer or for very little financial compensation. It's when somebody expresses like thanks to me or sends me, you know, last week I posted an interview that I had done and a friend sent me a little picture of the clip and it said like, thank you for all you're doing or that you've done. And it was just so kind. Like I didn't even know if anybody watched it. And that just made me feel like so great. And then also last week I was in Shake Shack and this young guy that was working behind the counter said, aren't you the girl that was working on plastic bags? And I'm like, yeah, did we meet? And apparently I had met him at a um, voter outreach event and I had spoken to him and I believe his girlfriend about my work on the plastic bags. And that was just, again, such an amazing feeling because I'm not a well-known lobbyist. I'm not a leader of an extremely powerful, very wealthy, well-funded environmental organization. And so you aren't going to get a lot of press and there isn't a lot of glory and there isn't a lot of opportunity to sort of even share what you're working on. So seeing that, you know, it's just one person at a time and it's grassroots and it's small, but it is okay. And you are doing something good and you are having an impact and people are recognizing and appreciating that. Excellent. Excellent. That's awesome. How um, are you able to be involved in so many projects and organizations while still being able to enjoy life outside of work and all of your responsibilities as well? I'm not, (laughs) you know, I, I'm a mom and I have huge responsibilities um, for Kai because he's special needs and the work for me is really a passion. I, I really do not do it for financial gain. It's not a job. So it's very intertwined with my life. I, I probably, may, maybe I'm a little boring to some people because I like to work so much, but I, I really love what I do and I'm interested in it. So it kind of dovetails into my life. Um, I definitely think I should work a little harder on getting a life. And that's, that's going to be on the 2023 um, agenda. Excellent. So who is someone that you look up to inspires you to keep doing um, what you're fighting for? You know, a lot of people inspire me. And on my website, it's sort of interesting. I have a page called Inspiration, and I list all of these heroes that I have had um, for years. And um, one of the people that really inspires me, there's so many, is Dolores Huerta. And she is an American labor leader and civil rights activist. And she, along with Cesar Chavez, who most people have heard of and know, uh, co-founded the National Farm Workers Association. Um, And that group later merged with the Agricultural Workers Organizing Committee and then eventually became the United Farm Workers. So UFF, UFW. And Dolores is the one that created the slogan, Si Se Pueda, which was Yes, We Can which was a slogan that President Obama um, used during his campaign. And he recognized her for all her amazing work. But she was just an incredible person because she was not famous and she did not have resources. Um, And yet she did incredible things. And she, in addition to, you know, accomplishing so much for people that really didn't have a voice and didn't have any power, she was also mother to 11 children which is really amazing. Wow. Um, and I think that, um, you know, for me, I would like to see someone like Do- Dolores Huerta get more recognition 
because, um, and actually California does recognize her on April the 10th for all of her work, but she was kind of the person behind the scenes, moving the levers, making sure that things happened, you know, grassroots all the way. And even though she didn't get as much of the limelight and the exposure, she is definitely to be thanked as much, 50% or more for all of the work that was done to, to assist those migrant workers and immigrants in the work that she was doing. That's amazing. That's amazing. How, how do you separate your feelings and emotions from difficult decisions? <laughs> that, that would be, you know, I'd ask you that question. That's a really hard one. Um, I would probably say, I don't know if I'm there yet. You know, I think a lot of times I do realize that I should always, you know, I'm trying to really be diligent about taking time to think through my actions because I can be, I am extremely passionate. And I know that comes across to people. You know, people always say to me, oh my God, you have so much energy and you're so persuasive. You're so into your cause. And I'm like, I am like, I'm, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid all the way. And so um, it can be hard for me to sort of be more pragmatic and, you know, to make sure that I am speaking from a place um, that isn't just emotional, you know, that I'm relying on the facts and the science. And I think for me, I believe that there is adequate support for everything that I am arguing for and believing in and advocating for. So I think, you know, lead with the science, lead with the facts. It is okay. I mean, I do think people, you know, energy is, um, it's one of those things that I think it really affects other people. And so if you have the right energy and passion, it will move people. You know, that is really what can change the dial. And for me, I love, you know, I'm a motivational speaker. I'm asked to present a lot. And I really enjoy being able to kind of say like, you know, here's what I'm passionate about and here's why I'm passionate about it. Um, and to find people that agree with me and get lit up about the issue too, and then want to take action is just, you know, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. That has to be very gratifying. So as an activist, uh, that has been working in the green movement, what are some of the changes you would like to see in the future? I think, you know, for me, the big change that I want to see, and that I've really been working for, towards, excuse me, for the last 10 years, and I think I'll be working for towards for the rest of my life, excuse me, is this idea of people having a consciousness and a connection to nature and really just moving away from this capitalist consumption-oriented culture and moving towards following the guidance that you can get from an organic system that is balanced and that is healthy and that is regenerative that we're just not paying attention to. Yeah, that's beautifully said. So if your ideas, your experience, and your wisdom were all wrapped up in seeds of potential action for you to give to others, what advice would you give to someone who's also considering being an environmental lobbyist in their own city, county, or state? I would tell them to find issues that they are interested in and to learn about them, to research where the state of those issues are across the United States of America. So there might be other places that are already far ahead of you and have examples. Or more exciting, you might actually be working on something innovative 
Um, and of course, you can go outside of the United States. You can go all over the world because everyone is dealing with the issue of climate crisis. And that's what makes it so interesting. Um, I think it's important to, you know, when I came to town, I ran for the um, Princeton Community PC Democratic Organization, sorry, and got on their board. I held a voter engagement event. You know, I tried to kind of get to know voters. And then I got to know a lot of the elected officials. And of course, this was in a small setting, right? It's, it's my local town. And then eventually I branched out to Mercer County. And then just starting in 2019, I began working more formally at the state level. And, you know, I was very lucky. I got to testify very early on in getting involved with the plastics movement um, at the state capitol. And that really was so exciting. And that, I think, you know, when you see sort of where you're trying to get to um, and you have some opportunity to have access to that area, I think you can really see where where things line up. And of course, you have to learn the process of how things get done. You know, who are the stakeholders? What are the obstacles? And, you know, as many people as you can get to know or engage with, you know, I, I think that's really important too, because Ultimately, it, it is who you know, you know, that that is what makes the world kind of go around. And it's very true, very true in politics. Would you say that it was helpful when you volunteered for a number of organizations before maybe you took on a board position? So 100% yes. And I'm embarrassed that I didn't think of that to mention that myself, because I'm a huge volunteer. I ran a 500 plus volunteer team for Capital Health back in 2015. And I think volunteering is so much fun. It is a great way to get to know people. It is a wonderful place where you can find purpose. Um, you can accomplish a lot of things. And there's a real satisfaction that comes from giving and doing for others. I mean, I think people always, you know, it, it like for me, if people say, oh, you volunteer so much. I hate to say it. I really do it. I do it for myself because it makes me feel really good. And I'm learning things and I'm meeting new people. And I would give a lot of presentations about how volunteering was good for your mental health. Um, it is very helpful for people when they first retire to be able to get a volunteering job. It's great for students who wanna come in and see, do I even wanna be in a hospital? You know, I ran a student program and every year all the students in this very elitist program want to be doctors and every year somebody goes out on the ambulance and faints and so i think it's you know and i would say to them look there's a lot of good careers in particularly nursing you know where you could be the ceo of nursing or you know you can sort of have this career that's really flexible and maybe you want that instead of just there's only one direction and there's a lot of great jobs in healthcare i think the most important thing for me is health, and that's the health and well-being of the humans and the animals that are in our planet, and it is the health and well-being of our planet. Excellent. Hard to top that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what resource, maybe a book, a website, or a film um, has been particularly helpful or inspiring to you? Well, it would be hard for me not to mention Bagot, which is the film that we used as part of the plastics campaign 
I, I, I've seen Baggett so many times. Um, I think the plastic issue, at least in New Jersey, is very settled. So I'm not sure that particular film. The film that I would recommend now is a film called Kiss the Ground. And um, Chris, Kiss the Ground talks a lot about the toxins nice. that are in our environment. And that's the campaign that I'm working on now. And then I would also recommend Non-Toxic, a, uh, a Guide to Living Healthy in a Chemical World by Ali Cohen and Frederick von Stahl. Uh, and I think that's a great book also that can be kind of a guide to lead you into getting educated about, you know, toxins and plastics are part of the same issue. They're both incredibly ubiquitous. They both get into the air, the water, and um, our soil, and they both wreak havoc on humans, our systems, and uh, the planet. What is the most important lesson that you've learned over your career? I've learned so many and I'm always learning new ones. Definitely, I would say one is to talk less and to listen more because I think it's really important to be able to connect with somebody where they are if you're going to want to get them to engage and listen to you. So I, I always think that, and obviously I'm very, I'm chatty Kathy. So that's, that's going to be um, one that I'm working on for a long time. And then I think the other thing is to, is to try to not take things personally. I think in a work, you know, with text and email, sometimes it can be very difficult to gauge what the tone or the feeling is of a communication that somebody is making or you know in this hurried sort of fast-paced world everyone is so busy and dealing with so many different things that you know if, if you take the problems or the issues personally you get stuck in that emotional roller coaster and so I think you always have to take a step back and say like for me the work is very personal it is personal I care deeply about it it's not um, again, like I said, this is not a job for me. I don't get, you know, benefits and compensation and fancy parties and a cell phone. I mean, it, it's really about the purpose of what you're doing, you know? And so I think you have to shift away from that piece of it being personal, but not lose it all the way and stay focused on, you know, what's the goal. And I got some really good advice from a friend recently. And she said to me, you know what, where do you want to, where is the end goal? What do you want to see happen? start there and work backwards. And I really liked that. I felt like it was so insightful because we have a tendency to say, you know, here's where I'm going and I'm going to map out my chart of how I get there. Instead of putting all the focus on what is it that you want to happen? And then as you're doing action items, you can sort of say, okay, is this action going to get me closer to that goal? Does it benefit me? Does it hurt me? And then make a decision. And I, it's almost like, you know, people say hindsight is 2020. And, you know, oh, if I could look over my shoulder and I only knew that way of thinking, I find is really good because you're starting at a different vantage point. And by changing your perspective, you're changing everything. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, how would you like people to contact you um, that might want to learn more or uh, volunteer for you? I would love that. Volunteers are always welcome. You can reach me at um, Baini Suri, which is B-A-I-N-Y, last name S like Sam, U-R-I at gmail.com. Or you can Google me at Eco Community Solutions, or you can just Google me 
um, in general, because I'm the only Danny Suri out there and I will pop up and you will be able to see my work and get in touch with me. And you can Facebook with me. You can follow me on Instagram. I mean, all that stuff is, is great. I am always looking for volunteers and also just, you know, if people that want to connect green-minded people, um, are always welcome in my life. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, speak with me. And it was, it was a real pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for hosting me and thank you to go green locally. I really appreciate it. And, um, I'm so excited that our paths cross. If you haven't yet visited your local green online hub, then please visit gogreenlocally.org and check out the directories for events, groups, businesses, online resources, and local support listings for your area. If you find something is missing, then let us know or just log in and add it. These are community free sharing directories.